Welcome to today's Church Central podcast. We're a family of churches across Birmingham. To find out more, head to churchcentral.org.uk. And I would see this list as like a list of goals that I would want to get to as a Christian. Uh, I want to be a joyful person. I want to be a kind person. I want to be more faithful in my life. And therefore, what I would be doing uh, to get there would be to find ways to allow God to develop these more and more in me, while at the same time ordering my life proactively in those directions too. Um, And as we draw, we're kind of just after halfway through, coming towards the end of this list, you could be forgiven for thinking that Paul starts running out of ideas about halfway through as he's going through. Imagine Paul writing this to the Galatians, like, through the Spirit, uh, yeah, we've got, uh, we've got love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Hmm, what other positive characteristics can I think of? Some good things that we are good, good, goodness. That's what I can add into the list now. And today we are going to be looking at the fruit of goodness. You could say, well, isn't that just like kind of all the others combined, just generally good stuff? It seems a bit vague. There's another problem, I think, uh, when we approach goodness as well, in that strangely, in some ways, this can seem like one of the least appealing of all of the fruits. Just, I'm not going to ask for feedback here, but just in your mind, just clock your knee-jerk reaction to these questions I want to ask you. Do you want to be kind? I would imagine straight away, yes, of course, I want to be kind. Do you want to be joyful? Easier, that one. Yes, of course I want to be joyful. That's very, very easy. Do you want to be good? Actually, sometimes we can have a knee-jerk reaction. of <laughs> It's not top of my priorities. No, not really. It's that, that time when your gran asks you, have you been a good girl? Have you been a good boy? And of course, we all say, yes, we have, gran, because we want the sweets that she's going to give us. But we really wish we hadn't because we probably didn't have as much fun as if we hadn't been good. We prefer often, this is the narrative, actually, that we often swallow, to be a bit edgy, to be a bit unpredictable, a bit bad, <laughs> because goodness is necessary, but it's a bit dull. I'm old enough to remember on Newsround it was. I'm old enough to remember Newsround for a start, which some of you won't, won't remember. But I remember Newsround in the late 80s or mid 80s when the newsreader came on and said, uh, pop star Michael Jackson is bringing out his new album. It's called Bad. Because apparently in America, bad means good. And I was like, what? My whole world was turned upside down. Everything's gone wrong. What's happening here? Because, of course, in the, in the parlance of our times in certain ways, we make that switch because actually good is, is okay. It's a, just a bit boring, actually, to be, to be a bit more edgy, a bit bad. That's okay. Uh, that's, that's more exciting in that sense. Well, that, I think, is the case a lot of the time. The opposite also is the case, because if we look past the knee-jerk response to, some, to goodness in a slightly more profound way, actually, while all that stands, there would be another part of us, when we scratch beneath the surface, it says, but we do understand something about goodness that is very attractive to us. I think I can show this through a, through a thought experiment. It's a little bit morbid, I'm afraid, but roll with me if you want to, and if you don't, don't bother. But let's imagine... Uh, a time, very, very distant future, uh, when you're dead, okay? And it's, it's your funeral. And uh, everyone's milling around and they're kind of canapes, whatever it might be, and they're chatting and talking about you and how you're remembered. But the general consensus that people say is this. She was a good woman. He was a good man. Could there be a, any better way to be remembered than that? 
So what I want to do today, I want to kind of look at this concept of goodness. I want to do it in a very simple way. I just want to look at a good person in the Bible, and I want to look at a bad person in the Bible, and then see what we can learn from them. That's the plan. It's not rocket science. Uh, it's going to involve the Bible every now and again, so you might need one of them or a phone or something with a Bible on. But that's where we're going. Are you with me, Church Central South? Yeah, come on. More nodding the merrier to get the coolness of the room. Kind of just keep the blood flowing. We can do this. Um, right, the good person. I could go edgy here. I could go left field here. Uh, but I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna go with Jesus. I'll be. I'll be quite clear on this. Let's just cut. Let's cut it out. No mediocrity. The key good person in the Bible is Jesus. He will feature heavily in this talk. And I, I, we've got a couple of scriptures. Uh, let's start. Uh, in this just wonderful snapshot of Jesus growing up, we find in Luke 2. Um, I read this on the screen already. For some context, some of you know the context of this. Jesus is 12. He's been to the temple, and his parents lost him. We've all been there, haven't we? Um, <laughs> and uh, basically, they, they meet up again. They, they find their way back. And when they're reunited, this is what it says. Then Jesus returned to Nazareth with them, with his mum and dad, and was obedient to them. And his mother stored all these things in her heart. Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and all the people. Like I say, this is Jesus, a young man, uh, or um, probably just kind of, this is a kind of snapshot, not just when he's 12, but a period after, I would imagine. And we get this picture of a good man, a good young man. I think Jesus is good in three ways here. Some of them would maybe fit more with the kind of more have you been a good boy sort of thing? But some are much more attractive to us here. Jesus here is good in three ways. Firstly, he's a good boy. He is a good boy. He's good in the way that all good boys are good. He's obedient to his mum and dad. He models a kind of goodness that is in the idea of goodness of following the expectations of your culture and doing the things that you're meant to do in your stage of life. Uh, it could if, uh, be that you're, you're a good employee or a good citizen, or a good neighbor, or a good student, uh, doing the kind of things you're supposed to do in your life situation. And Jesus fitted the bill. He was obedient to his mum and dad. He was a good boy. Um, so he's good in that, that way. He was also good in the religious sense as well. Luke um, makes clear in his gospel, he, he gets, he's not around. He wouldn't have been around to know Jesus at this time, but he got his information from eyewitnesses. And so when he says that Jesus grew in favor with God, there's lots to that, and we'll touch on that as we go along, but I think the least we could say is, to, if someone would say, hey, that person's growing in favor with God, the least they mean is they are pretty good in terms of their religious practice. Jesus was a, a good boy, and he was clearly a good and observant Jew as well. Now, at this point, you are probably thinking, yeah, nice for Jesus, but you're not really winning me over to this concept here. I don't, I'm not longing for that to be true of me. But then there's this other statement that kind of flips the whole thing, because he didn't just grow in favor with God, obviously very important, we'll come back to that, but who did he grow in favor with? Question to the audience. All the people. That's an incredible phrase. He grew in favor with all the people. Jesus was a good boy. He was a good Jew, but he was also a thoroughly good bloke. He was attractive to those around him. Uh, me and my wife, Jem, have been uh, enjoying a TV show called Ted Lasso lately. Has anyone seen this show? Does anyone partake? nobody in Church Central South watches this show. This is on Apple TV, so it's quite hard to get hold of if you don't. But I'm, I'll fill you in, and I'll show you why in a minute that you are 
not representative of society as a whole in some ways, which is fine. We don't need to go with the flow. It's okay. Um, this, this show is about this guy, Ted Lasso, and the basic concept is simple. Premiership Football Club, mythical Premiership Football Club, Richmond FC, sack their manager, and to their new managers, they go for a left-field suggestion. They go for this American guy who's earned some notoriety um, with, a, I think it's an American football team, uh, so he's shown some coaching chops, but he doesn't know anything about football. And uh, I must be honest, when I came across this show, I, was, I, was, I wasn't won over by the synopsis, really. I was thinking, this is going to be a bit mean-spirited, isn't it? This is going to be um, a kind of fish-out-of-water comedy, blundering through a series of mishaps. I kind of just thought it was going to be an opportunity to laugh at Americans, if I'm being honest, which not adverse to 100%, but, you know, I just thought it might not make me a better person. But, um, but I watched it anyway. Um, and actually, it's not like I thought at all. It flips the idea of where you think the show would go, in that Ted Lasso, the main character, is presented simply as this. He is a good man. He's a man full of goodness. Yes, in many ways, he's quite clueless, and everybody laughs at him. They ridicule him relentlessly, but he's kind he's patient, he's forgiving, and he's wise. And it's really funny because as the series goes on, the people who want to hate him, they really want to hate him, the, the board, the players, the fans, the journalists, everyone, they end up really reluctantly and begrudgingly really growing to respect this, this good man. Now, we were not, trust me, this is not just one of those Johnny things. We are not the only people who enjoyed this show. It, it swept the board at the Am Emmys uh, a couple of months ago. It picked up, I think, three different awards at the Emmys and has, got a, uh, has, has been really a popular, one of Apple TV's flagship shows. And I think it's really, success is really interesting because people have swarmed to this show and its success shows us that actually, despite our inbuilt ideas about the bad boys and the bad girls having all the fun, we do like goodness. We really do like goodness. We're attracted to goodness, and we do, would like to be good people. Ted Lasso's a good man, a fictional good man on Apple TV. <laughs> um, Jesus is like Ted Lasso times a million, okay? Jesus was not this gaunt, miserable, fragile, serious fellow he's often presented as being. No, that's not the Jesus of the Bible. Jesus of the Bible would be the guy you wanted to sit next to at a dinner party. He would be the guy that the kids in your youth group want to go, I want to be like that guy. He, I want to be like him. And when it says that Jesus, as he grew up, grew in favor with all the people, it would have meant, yes, he was a bit unusual. Yes, people might well have laughed at him sometimes, but the vast majority of people, if pushed, would have come to the same conclusion. That Jesus is a really good bloke. He gained people's respect. Some of you are jumping ahead in the story already. Wait a minute. I'm not sure it stays like that for very long. And yes, as time goes on, obviously, he falls out of favor with the people. And the people call for his, call for his blood. And, and he's killed by a combination of the crowds and the religious authorities. And if you're ultimately truly good, it will put you at odds with those who are not truly good. But from a young age, this, this snapshot we get of Jesus as a young man, we do see this beautiful picture here of Jesus as a good man, the ultimate good man, the best man. So there we have it, the good person. Let's, uh, let's go the other way now, shall we? And to do this, we have to jet forward about 20 years, or in the Gospel of Luke, um, about nine, 17 chapters. And to Luke 19, we find Jesus's, I wouldn't say nemesis, but his, his foil, shall we speak. I'll, I'll, I'll read 
Who's that then? Who's you, is he? Some of you have been to Sunday school, haven't you? Yeah, there is, there is a kiss, a photo taken on, on location, <laughs> archive footage. Um, Luke 19, 1 to 7. Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a, a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Zacchaeus is the complete opposite of Jesus. The complete opposite. In all of our three ways of goodness, he fails miserably and is actually the flip side. So Jesus was a good boy. He followed the expectations of society for him at that time of life. Did Zacchaeus do that? No, not at all. He did the opposite. And uh, Zacchaeus wasn't a boy, he was a man, uh, and he was a Jewish man. And we've got to understand what the expectation for a Jewish man at that time would have been. And one of the most basic ones would have been to kind of support the Jewish community. That was kind of in the good man thing at that time. You probably know, but at that time, Israel was occupied by the Romans. And uh, this was not something the Jewish people uh, in the first century AD were particularly uh, fond of. They had a very rich tradition. They had a, a really rich history and this sense of common purpose. And there was this widespread feeling at the time that if only we as the people of Israel could, could kind of team together, stop our infighting and get on and team together, we can overthrow the Romans and maybe get control of our land back uh, so that we can well, worship God for a start, but also live with our national cultural identity. Zacchaeus, however, was having absolutely none of this. And we know that from his job. He was a tax collector. Very, very simple, this one. And again, question for the audience to work out a tax collector at that time. Who was he raising taxes for? The Romans. Yes, so he was raising taxes for the Romans. Who was he taking taxes from? You get the kind of picture. That would have been bad enough. But also, from the reputation of tax collectors uh, at that time in general, and from the specific reputation of Zacchaeus, we know how he did it too. Any guesses? But yet, fraudulently, is that? Yeah, yeah, fraudulently. Uh, even more than that, dishonestly, which meant he was basically stealing off his own people. Part of that was going to the Romans, boo, and part of it was just going to himself. I mean, this is not good as regards most people's expectations of him at that time. So he wasn't a good man in that sense. Also, in the religious sense, he wasn't good either. When people could say of Jesus, people comment, yeah, he's growing in favor with God. Look at how he's living his life. What did they say when they saw Zacchaeus? Notorious sinner. That's what they said when they saw him. All of them, notorious sinner. So he's obviously not doing very well from a religious perspective either. And had he grown in favor with the people, well, as a result of points one and two, three kind of follows, no, they all absolutely hated him. And I think you might see why. At Sunday school, Zacchaeus is often presented as this kind of, you know, a bit of a bit of a misunderstood poor fellow. He's quite short after all. Be nice to him, you know. That's how he's, how he's presented. No, he, he's not that at all. He's not a bad boy. He's not a lovable rogue. No, he's bad from every angle. 
He is a nasty piece of work. He is a scumbag. He is a toxic person. That's Zacchaeus. So there we go. We've done our, we've done our kind of character sketches. Um, we've got our good person. We've got our bad person. Now, I just want us to ponder these two people and these two ideas for a second. Goodness and badness. While I turn my page, it's there. I don't think anything I've said so far would be overly controversial from the context of our culture. I think you might be here today and you, you wouldn't be a follower of Jesus, you wouldn't be a Christian. I don't think I've said anything outrageous. Probably would go along with most of that. There's good and bad people and it kind of works out a bit like that. I guess, though, if I was doing this talk from the perspective of wider society, there would be two assumptions that I would be making that I would probably make explicit at some point, and they would be these. Firstly, my first assumption would be, as I talk about goodness and badness, I, the person speaking, and you, the people listening, are bound to be good people. That would be my first assumption. We're good. We should just assume that. Second assumption would be this. If you happen to be in the unfortunate and incredibly unlikely position that actually you're not one of the good people, you're one of the bad people, well, bad luck on that because you can't change. You're stuck. So the assumption would be we are all good people and bad people can't change. Those are assumptions pretty, pretty stuck in the conversation about goodness and badness in our culture. Some people are good like Jesus other people are bad like Zacchaeus. And I, of course, this is the assumption, I, of course, am good like Jesus. And as a good person, I need to keep an eye out for other good people and fill my life with them. Uh, but I also need to keep an eye out for the snakes, the backstabbers, the pedophiles, the racists, those kind of people. And I want to steer well clear of them. In fact, call them out, if humanly possible, at every single opportunity. And so on an advert, it would say, you deserve a great holiday, or you deserve a good car, or you deserve a good house. I'm like, wow, it's like you're spying on me. Of course I do. They are actually spying on me, but I don't think that's how they found that one out. Um, why are they saying that? Well, it's because obvious, because you're a good person. That's the assumption behind all of that stuff. And on social media, when your friend puts up the status, I don't know if, you, if your friend does this, or whether it's your friend who does this, where you say, um, I'm... Hi, everyone. I'm doing a cull of my Facebook friends at the moment, and I need to cut the toxic people out of my life. Watch out. I've had enough of you. Have you seen that post? Yeah, okay. Anyone posted that? I'm not going to ask that question. I'm not going to ask that question. Okay. Um, when that happens, what's happening is this. They're assuming, A, that they are not themselves one of those toxic people, and B, that the toxic people are never going to change, so need to be eliminated. That is the basic understanding. I want to be really clear. I am not working from either of those assumptions today. In fact, I'm working from the opposite of either of those assumptions today because that's how the Bible operates in this conversation. So I think at this point, we veer slightly from the cultural narrative. Firstly, the Bible would not assume that we're all good people. In fact, quite the opposite. Yes, we all want to be good in the more profound, attractive way that I've talked about already, that's for sure. And you know what? We all do do good things, some of us more than others. But we're not good like we should be. We're not the forces for good in society that we should be. We're not even, for many of us who realize this, we're not even the forces of good for good in our families or in our households or in our friendship groups that we should be. 
And we might, you might kind of take umbrage to that verdict or not, but according to the Bible, it, it doesn't really matter what we think or what other people think because it's not about our opinion or other people's opinion. It's God's opinion. And God's opinion in the Bible, as presented quite clearly from cover to cover, is unfortunately not like the one given to Jesus. We don't get the good person thumbs up here. No, we get the, the verdict given to Zacchaeus. And the word is exactly the same, used for all of us as used for him. We're sinners. Sinners. It's a really, it's a really funny word, I think, sinners. However you say it. Actually, when it comes from another person, I think it is quite an ugly word. And even as I'm saying that now, you might think coming from me, for me to say that, that is an ugly word, especially when there's a number of you looking around here today. I, I don't know you, and this guy with kind of fuzzy hair up there is saying, I'm a sinner, you've never even met me. That seems ugly. And I think actually, if you make that statement and use that word for someone else, if someone does that based on just their own perspective or even the perspective of other people they know, I think it is an ugly word. And I think it's totally inappropriate as well. Because when a person off their own back calls another person a sinner, it's always hypocritical because everyone's a sinner. So why are they picking out other people's faults when they should be dealing with their own? But if the word is not coming just from a person based on their opinion and their own moral judgments, if it were to come from a thoroughly good God, a God who had never sinned, who had never failed, who never sold out his friends, who never punched his wife, never cheated on her husband, never neglected his children, came from a God like that, well then that God would have a right to make that judgment. And if they did, I think we should listen. And if we listen to then the verdict of the God, the God of heaven as presented in the Bible, we hear him say, you're sinners. You're more like Zacchaeus than like Jesus. It's a bit a little heavy. So the first kind of cultural veering, you might think, oh, I'm not, not sure I like that. However, the good news of Christianity is we also veer from the second one as well. Because, you see, the difference between what the Bible teaches and what our culture teaches in the second sense, is far more encouraging. Yes, the Bible says we're all sinners, but it tells us this. And this is something I think that is, is so remarkable and so outrageous and so against the grain. I think particularly as I, I get a little older, I find it really hard to keep believing this. And I have to keep going back to the Bible, but I'm so grateful for the evidence I've seen it in my life and those around me. People can change. Do you know that for you today? You can change. There's change for you. It doesn't matter if you're 10 or 20 or 30 or 90 and any in between. And even after 90 too, people can change. God doesn't immediately cut the toxic people out of his life. The Bible paints this picture of a really patient God who gives us the opportunity. And more than that, actually, gives us the resources to change. And it's beautifully laid out in our story about the little guy who goes up the tree in Zacchaeus. So let's rejoin our story, shall we, um, where we left off. Now, Zacchaeus, is, he's gone to Jesus. Jesus has gone to Zacchaeus' house, and Zacchaeus is very happy about this, but the people are like daggers at Zacchaeus, and Jesus, how dare you? Don't you know who this guy is? They're muttering under their breaths, all that stuff. But Zacchaeus takes Jesus in, and we don't get a description of what they did. We can assume what they did. They I imagine ate some food would be a, a guess. I would also imagine they talked to each other. I'm being pretty 
general in my imagination here, not particularly kind of creative in what I'm thinking happened. But those things would have happened, and then we know what happened next, and that's in Luke 19, verse 8. It says this, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord, and if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Hmm. That is quite some change. That's incredible. What has happened to this guy? The notorious sinner is completely transformed. He seems to be sorry for how he's lived. He wants to make right stuff he's done wrong. And also, this like earlier on in the chapter, he was this money grubber. Now he's like this generous philanthropist. He's giving half of his money away. Remember, this guy's really rich um, in all this. Wow. This is confusing. That's the kind of thing a good person would do, but we know that Zacchaeus isn't a good person. He's a bad person. So what on earth happened here? How did he change? Incredibly simple. He'd been with Jesus. He had spent time with Jesus. That's all the information that we're given in this passage. Nowadays, as I guess many, well, all of us would know, I would have thought, followers of Jesus are called Christians. And that name and title was first given to followers of Jesus in, in ancient times. And it was an insult to them. And it was an insult saying it, it meant you, you're like a little Jesus. Or you think you're like a little Jesus. Little Jesuses or little Christs, it means. And it was an insult. But it caught on. And it's now used by Christians and people who aren't Christians today. Uh, and I think it hit on because that insult hit on something very, very important about Christianity. Being a Christian is not being a member of a club. It's about saying... I want to be a little Jesus. That's not an insult to me. That's the best thing that you could ever say of me. We want to become like Jesus. We want to be like him. We're saying, I see in this man something so good that I want to share in it. And the great news of Christianity is that Jesus then, according to the Bible, offers us that exact thing. Being a Christian is becoming like Jesus, and we do it just like Zacchaeus did it, by being with Jesus. Now, this, in a second, we're going to, either you can do this on your own, or you can do it with a few people around you. We're going to think about what this might mean in practically for us in our present scenario. Because, sorry if this is a letdown to you, but you can't have Jesus around for tea, okay? You, some of you can come around for my house for lunch today, for the newcomer's lunch. That's fine. But you can't do that with Jesus. It doesn't work exactly the same. So question, which we'll think about in a second, how do we do that? How does that work? But the basic principle, surely, is reasonably non-controversial in all this. If you hang around with good people, it is bound to make you a better person. Wheel back 10, 15 minutes to my old friend Ted Lasso. Another thing that happens exactly the same in that show. This is, this is what happens around Ted Lasso. As the series goes on, and even season two, too, um, it's not just that Ted gains people's respect. What happens is the people who were really bad at the beginning start changing. The foul-mouthed and bitter and selfish and vain and cruel people all around Ted Lasso, as the show goes on, they start to change. And by being around Ted Lasso, they become better people. We would, we would understand that's how the world kind of works in many ways, in simple ways. Again, Jesus is Ted Lasso times a million. But how can we spend time with him as he's no longer physically with us? We just need setting for the, that question. We just need to follow the story a little bit through. Because after the story we've read, Jesus lived uh, a year or two more, and then he fell out of favor with people, as I've mentioned already, and the, the crowds called for him to be killed, and he was killed, he was crucified. But that was not the end of the story. 
On the third day, Jesus rose from the dead, and then shortly after that, he returned to heaven. Before he left the planet, he, he told his followers that he wouldn't leave us alone. He wouldn't leave them alone. But he'd send his own spirit, the Holy Spirit, to bring his presence and his friendship to us, even though he wouldn't be here physically anymore. The Holy Spirit. Even before the Ted Lasso reference, I remember that in the talk somewhere. Where was it? Yes, I remember. It was when we all stood up at the beginning and read that verse, wasn't it? Because that is the same spirit as we talked about earlier, the spirit that Paul talks about in this verse. The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, love, joy, peace, goodness. Jesus gives us his spirit so that we can spend time with him through the spirit today, not just for him to come around for our house for an afternoon. Look at the effect that had on Zacchaeus. Incredible. No, but we can do it all the time through his spirit. But let's make this practical. So what we're going to do is, if you'd like to, with two or three people around you, that would be the default position. Uh, you, please do that if you want. But also recognize that some people don't want to do that. Simply just think about it yourself. Practically, what does that look like? Could be today you're not a Christian, and you think, practically, how does that look like for me? Could be you're here and you're a Christian, and you're looking at your life and think, I don't think I'm doing very well here. I'm not sure I'm a very good person. What does it look like for you to spend time with Jesus in a way to help in this area? Others might be, I'm a Christian, looking at my life, doing all right, actually. What does it look like for you? Or it could be a load of other things. I'm going to give two or three minutes, and then last warning, because I will shut up, is I'm then going to ask for a bit of feedback. And uh, what does it look like? Practically, you, you guys apply it. Let's share our wisdom with each other.